What's going on, good people? Welcome to the Poravera Podcast, the first episode of 2020. Very excited for my next guest. This guest talks about his legendary, and I mean legendary, attempt to get a job with Jeff Staple, creating one-of-one kicks for none other than King James, and creating Chinatown Market. Hope you enjoy the show. Peace. What's going on, good people? Welcome to the Poor Rivera Podcast Show. I am very excited to have my guest straight out of L.A., I believe straight off a plane. Yes, sir. Mike Sherman. What's going on, brother? No, Founder of me. Chinatown yes, Market. Sir. What's good? Hey, How by the you? way, I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, I am always like super thrilled when people are on time. I was told you were like extra on time. Oh, right? yeah. I definitely, I showed up here at noon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got off the plane and I literally was like, I rushed to the hotel, took the shower, came straight here and I was like, oh God, I read this fucking thing wrong. So like You showed up at noon? Yeah. What time was the show started? Uh, 6 p.m. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I was trying to hover, you know, I was trying to just be here. You know, I'm get not that, mad get, at it. I love suck it. Suck up the energy. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's jump right into it, man. Um, Absolutely. Um, I will, you know, it's a running joke that I don't um, do a lot of research on this team when I'm, you know, having a guest on a show. But I actually, producers will be proud of this. I actually did some research and um, a, a lot of things that, you know, I found in some of the research I did that um, I found super interesting. I wanted to, like, ask you about. Yeah, them. of course. So, um, both early days, both your parents in fashion. Yeah, Talk so my dad was uh, in, like, girls' denim, worked with, like, Xanadi, Mud, all those kind of brands and, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of in that kind of heyday of like kind of fashion in general, where you'd go to the trade shows in Vegas, there'd be Snoop Dogg performing in a Christian Adige booth with 20 <laughs> booths in a row booked out. And, uh -huh. you know, it's just a different game back then. You'd go to Vegas and book like 10, 10 million orders and come back and, you know, private, 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 whatever. I think uh, that world's changed. And it was just interesting to see how it used to be for him and et cetera. My mom, she was a fashion designer as well, more in women's wear. And uh, once she had kids, she kind of stopped. So I think, you know, it's interesting because... It's one of those things where I wish I had valued, you know, what she kind of knew uh -huh. when I was young. I was just going to ask you that. Like, did you know, on. even back then as a kid? I mean, dude, she was like sewing Halloween costumes <laughs> and she was like, you know, wrapping our entire house with a bow, like like a full on like house in a bow wow. and like doing it all herself on ladders. And like she just had so much ingenuity. And I don't think that I fully connected that, you know, because I was just so into sports as a kid and like I didn't care that much. I mean, I liked fashion, but like it was about the sport fashion, like getting basketball shoes or gotcha. getting the new cleats or, you know, whatever and looking fresh like that way. But, um, you know, it wasn't until I first started my first company, ICNY, and I had to go make tech packs and go to China that I was like, oh, shit, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was like, mom, have you ever made a tech pack before? <laughs> She's and, like, boy, I put a ribbon around our house. Yeah. And she literally like sat down with me. She did all hand done tech packs, drawn out garments. Wow. Like it was just one of those things where like I right there was so humbled to be like, damn. I should have fucking asked, you know, like <laughs> I think it's one of those things where we just never get our credit to our parents. And of it's course. like you listen to what your coach says, but you don't listen to what your dad says. Of course. And it's like such an interesting thing that I've learned through the years of like, I got to start listening to a little bit what my dad said. Of course. He may know a thing or two. Yeah, he's been through it. <laughs> of course. Uh, born and raised in New York. So born and raised Westchester, New York. Okay. Uh, I moved to San Diego when I was a freshman in high school. Um, what was that transition like? 
You know, man, I think it was just a, it was a really positive one because I grew up in like a, it's a town called Chappaqua. It's like a, very much, I think, like a very sheltered place. Like, you know, kids wearing boat shoes and pop collars and Abercrombie and Fitch jeans and, mm -hmm. you know, North Face jackets and shit. And I think moving to San Diego, I remember, you know, walking to my first English class and this kid was wearing a, you know, the tightest pants I've ever seen. And I was just like, <laughs> dude, why are you wearing girls pants? And then the dude's like looking at me and I had like a ripped knee, like, you know, kind of straight leg pant on. He's uh -huh. like, why are your pants so baggy? You know, and it's just the, those moments. Moments where I think like I had four kids in my whole my whole high school that skateboarded and then moved to San Diego and it's like that's it you know it's mm. like there's surf PE there's skate PE there's like this whole different type of look and style and approach and that's finally when I was like this is like what I knew was not just it you know and gotcha. I started to realize I'm like I need to travel more I need to see more and you know being in San Diego was an amazing time, but I think it was also like uh, yeah it was just good to see that and learn that and then that's what made me want to come back to New York. Dope. Talk to me about two words for you, Mikey Merchandise. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, in, in high school, I just started like falling in love with, you know, making T-shirts. When I moved to San Diego, I had no friends. I had a brand new Mac computer that I used my bar, bar mitzvah money to go buy. And, you know, I downloaded and pirated Adobe. And I was just sitting in my, my room just literally like YouTubing different videos and how can I go make different designs, et cetera. And I would just go buy the printer paper at Staples, iron onto my shirts and, you wow. know, just started making stuff. And I think that whole time for me was just like a time where I found something that I could identify with. You know, I wasn't gonna be six five and dunking. I wasn't mm -hmm. doing those things, you know, and you know, fast forward to my junior year of high school, I broke my hand. I, you know, couldn't play the rest of my season. Um, and I started smoking a little bit of weed. I started making t-shirts out of the back of my, uh, you know, house and then showed up to school and basically was selling t-shirts out of the back of my car. In high school? Yes. Oh, dope. What did, your, what did your parents think of it at the time? Were they like, you not, know, not the smoking weed part, the selling? No, yeah, I know that's not a great example of uh, life, but, you know, don't do that. Uh, but, you know, it's, I think it was funny because at first my parents were just like, don't go into fashion. You know, my dad got into like the partying, the craziness, mm, you know, he you. like obviously recovered alcoholic, like now doing great. But, you know, all the, you know, I think things that came with fashion for him is what hurt his life as much as helped his life. And so I think my parents were very cautious for me to go into that world. And, you know, they just knew how hard it was and how fickle it can be. And so, you know, of course I picked that. Of so, course. you know, and uh, yeah, they were worried for me. But I think, you know, fast forward a little bit and starting my first company, they were like, oh, wow, it's like it yeah. worked. You it, might have a yeah. shot, right? Exactly. So so your parents tell you they don't want you to go into fashion or, or say, please don't go into fashion. And of course, you decide to go to Parsons. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. at Parsons a year. What was that like? Yeah. You know, I mean, I literally applied to two schools, FIT and Parsons. I got denied from FIT. I got into Parsons. Mm -hmm. And it was a funny thing because I thought FIT wasn't as good of a school. But, <laughs> um, you know, I ended up going there and it was funny. I ended up, um, you know, just landing an internship at this place called Goodwood. Um, you know, that was just like a pretty interesting job. Before that, I was like interning for some blogs and I just wanted to be in the mix. I loved all this stuff. And, you know, when I ended up at Goodwood, it was really interesting because I just kind of started finding myself in this situation where I was like a, becoming a trained graphic designer. I was basically working on custom wood and jewelry all day, working mm -hmm. on a laser machine. And so that laser machine essentially, you know, is what helped me land my job at Nike eventually. Mm -hmm. And then also through working at Goodwood, I met this guy named Chase Infinite. And Chase Infinite was a mentor to me. That's ASAP, right? Uh, right, so yeah. he was part of like ASAP and AUG. And you know, when I was a young kid, I uh, dropped out of Parsons, I would, you know, when I was at Goodwood, I was delivering these chains to Prohibit. And Prohibit was a store in Lower East Side that mm -hmm. he had kind of uh, ran at the time. And 
I just started showing up there, and you know, there'd be dudes like Rocky there, this guy uh, Brock Corsan, who's like in music, and a few other people, and it was just this community of things happening all around, and. You know, I was lucky enough to be there in that time around all these people. And, you know, Chase really put me into an environment around just some really, you know, awesome people. But the time you would never have realized. Of course. You know, um, a good friend of both of ours, um, <clears throat> Salehi, was yes. on was on uh, the show, I think, two episodes ago. Um, he told an amazing story where um, he says he was hanging out um, at Dame's studio in the Lower East Side. And he said that. He just loved the lifestyle of it so much, just loved and believed in the energy so much that he went and bought one of those like TV dinner fold-out tables and showed up one day and said, I work here now. That's amazing. Right? I mean, that's how I felt with GD172 was right. Yeah, you know, so, such so a, it's just such that energy like that. going yeah. around, right? So um, you have a fairly similar store in your Jeff Staple store. Yes. Please you know, tell us about it. Yeah, you know, I think for me it was like when I had dropped out of Parsons that year, my parents basically said, figure it out. You know, you got the summer good luck. <laughs> you know, if you're going to move home, move home. You want to go to school, go find a scholarship, you know? And so in that time, I was just like, I'm not going back to San Diego. That's going to suck, you know? So I just wanted to find a way. And so I, you know, was working next door to Reed Space at the time. I knew that Jeff had a design studio. So Jeff Staple uh, had a design studio down on Ludlow. And I basically just decided to go to the Parsons Print Lab. I basically printed out a bunch of large format printers, like the size of a, a wall. And then I covered the entire route from where Jeff lived to where he worked with these posters that said, hi, Jeff, my name is Mike, I wanna work for you. And it had a Google Voice number and a little bit of a description of like what I do, you know? And it's just so funny because, you know, I'm just doing this, I'm just like, all right, I might get his attention, whatever. And then I'm walking to the subway, I got this you know, duffel bag on, and mind you, I'd just been to a few job interviews that day, so I'm wearing like a chambray button down and some like khakis. And all of a sudden this dude taps me on the shoulder, he's like, yo man, what are those? I'm like, oh dude, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get this job, blah, 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 showing the poster, and he's like, put your hands behind your back. And so basically oh, he arrested shit. me for selling a distributor, or not, no, wow, that's my high school story. Uh, not selling distributing. <laughs> he, he arrested me for doing graffiti, and so wheat pasting, and so essentially I was like stapling up these posters on these do not, you know, don't post bills walls, uh -huh, uh -huh. and do put me into holdings, and I was in the tombs downtown just like Say for a night word. and a half, man. And so it was just like seeing dudes being like, I didn't stab my girlfriend, I swear, or like <laughs> these dudes like sleeping on the bench, and you're just like why am I here right now? You know, I didn't call my parents. I was just like, I was so devastated. I'm like, I'm not going to have shit. I'm moving home. You know, because like when you're sitting there, you're just like, this sucks. This Wait, is over. Call it the tombs for a reason. Yeah, yeah. you know. Oh, and shit. I just uh, got out and I didn't even have a cell phone. I just went straight home. And I don't know, man. I just like. Uh, Did you ever I, talk to Jeff? Did Jeff ever? So it was funny. Like I woke up that day and all of a sudden I saw this dude in Mecca Obi and then Bobby Hundreds had both written things about shameless self-promotion. You know, and written this article. They had seen the posters when they were in the city. They were saying use. Right. And so oh, they, wow. like, Bobby happened to be on Allen Street that day when, you know, he was stopping by Reed Space, saw the posters, and, you know, basically posted up the, you know, this whole article about how I was doing something special and unique. You know, for me, I'm just like, I'm trying to get a job. Right, so, right. So, in a sense, it just, uh, yeah, it was just interesting how it all kind of unfolded. And then Jeff reached out. I had an interview. And then in that interview, he was just like, you know, man, you're not just going to sit down here and start designing for us. You're going to get coffee, sweep floors. You're going to work your way up. And I was just like gutted. I was like, oh, what, what am I going to do? This is this is what I wanted. <laughs> you know, like I, I went through everything for you, you know, whatever. And I think it was just funny because fast forward a year, year and a half later, I had started my brand. And then I was actually sitting down with Jeff in an interview as we were basically collaborating together oh, with my dope. first brand in Staple, that's you know, dope. and. It was that full circle moment to say, hey, I could have worked for him, but now I was able to work with him and see eye to eye rather than be below. Dope. So let's talk about, you know, your first brand. Yep. You know, I think 
you know, if you'd ask most young people, they'd think like it's always like a rags to riches. It's always, you know, my business partner Mav always jokes. He's like, you know, everyone wants the successes, but they don't want like the 15 years of like failures and try. You yeah, know, everyone just sees you as a success and they just 100%. think, oh, it's just give it. It's like that's not the case at all. 100%. So talk a little bit about your first brand, the good and the bad. <sighs> Man, I mean, you know, it all happened because I was, you know, luckily a working in a Nike space in downtown doing customization. I had all these machines around me every day. That place closed. I had the opportunity to actually buy some of those machines at like a fraction of the cost. But while I was working there, I was commuting every day on a bike. I was hit by taxis. I was doored. I was, you know, T-boned. I've been just hit multiple times while riding my track bike in the city and probably for reason of me riding stupidly. But, you know, it was those moments that helped for me to find a solution for myself. So I was basically that day I got hit the first time, went to Uniqlo, bought some socks, put some polka dots on it, bought a pair of pants, put it on the cuff. And, you know, this is all pretty like Levi's commuter and mm -hmm. all these brands that were doing like safety functional gear. And so for me, it was just like I was making all these items for myself to wear as I was commuting. And then I was having dudes drive by me be like, yo, man, I saw you from a mile away, blah, blah, blah. It just like, it was a moment where I was, it clicked, you know? And it was just like, I've always wanted to make clothing, but it never had a purpose. And I think that we can all make a clothing brand. We can all start companies, do whatever, but it didn't have a reason to exist. And I think for the first time I found something that was like, this is a solution for people who need this. And, you know, there isn't much out there outside of, you know, putting a strap on your ankle or, you know, right. wearing a big ass, like, you know, safety vest. Right, right. So, so you buy some of the machinery. Yeah, buy some of the machinery. I showed up, uh, I mean, I basically rented out a space within my friend's screen printing studio in Brooklyn. I had a mm -hmm. desk, a vinyl cutter, and a heat press. Mm -hmm. I was literally starting to hook up with all the running crews in New York, like bridge runners bridge runs, and all these yeah, kind of people wow. and, you know, just making kits for them and, you know, one-offs, whatever. And, you know, it just, I think when it launched out, it was the reason why I worked was for the purpose, you know, and I think I was just running the gun in, but I knew that this idea was bigger than me. So I knew I wanted to find someone to help me take it bigger. But that was finding an investor, that was finding someone who could help me take it there. Which brings a whole different set of things with it. Exactly. And I think ignorantly for me, I just, you know, I found someone who I thought could do it. I saw the stuff in their showroom. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, it, was I was kind of sold down the river for something that they weren't, you know, and it was more of a middleman than it was a, you know, clothing kind of bit like brand builder or manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, took on a partner, ended up signing a bad deal, and I essentially signed away my business to this person, you wow. know, and then three years later, I saw my email password change. Everything wow. just was one day done. You know, my computer was gone, everything. So that moment was just like devastating, you know, and all of a sudden just like sitting in my house, I'm in 20K worth of debt, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do. And I just was like, you know, it was like two weeks of just somber. And then eventually I'm just like, fuck this. I'm gonna fucking go to California, I'm gonna go to Vancouver, I'm gonna go to a few of these places that people have been hitting me up from and just wanted to work with me. And I always said no, because I was just so focused on my brand. And then went to California, I hit like three or four good licks of just projects and I was like, this is kind of better out here. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot more freedom for creativity artists and kind of the same feeling I had when I moved to Williamsburg in like probably 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And it was that same feeling of like that kind of happening in LA where I could afford to live there. There was good energy, a lot of artists, creatives and, you know, stuff happening all at once. And then mm -hmm. there's a wholesale district super close. I can go do everything within a few mile radius. Whereas in New York, it's like you take the subway to Midtown to go buy T-shirts. You're lugging it back on the subway home unless you can afford a 40 to $50 taxi ride. Yep. So, you know, it was interesting contrast. And I'd always looked at LA as this like kind of forbidden place of like impossible to get around, traffic sucks, blah, blah, blah. But I think things have kind of shifted and flipped over. Got you. And was there a light bulb moment? You said, you know, you were getting good work. Um, light bulb moment for Chinatown Market, the creation of it. 
you know, it was funny because I was just hustling at the time and trying to like, hey, you need to make a t-shirt, you need to do this, you need a logo, you need a graphic, like I will do whatever it takes to mm -hmm. just do it for you. And then it was this moment where a friend called me up and he's like, yo, I wanna make a fuck you, you fucking fuck shirt. Classic Canal Street, you know, just like the shirt that I've seen my whole life. So it was like, oh yeah, yeah, dude, come to my office, let's make it, whatever. And then we're sitting there and we're riffing and we're just, you know, making this design. And I'm like, why don't we make a thank you, have a nice day shirt? Why don't we make a, you know, all these little things that just were classic and nostalgic to me from New York and that I had kind of been around for so long. And now that I'm in LA, I kind of missed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's just this little moment in this pocket of time where, a, I have been offered a free booth at ComplexCon. B, this dude comes to my office and he has this idea. And then all of a sudden I just start riffing. And then we're just like, in five minutes, literally like, trying to time market. Let's do it. Wow. You know? That's how the name was created. 100%. It wasn't, it wasn't this whole like thoughtful moment. It was just like, this connects to what we're doing. This is perfect. Let's go. You know? And it was funny because that guy basically like within a week was like, I don't really want to do this, man. Can you just buy me out? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, with what, how much money we have? But yeah, like, sure. And then, you know, fast forward now, he, he, sometimes I'm like, damn, it must be pretty bummed that he's not still doing this, you know? Wow. So, and, and so early days of Chinatown Market, is it, it's you, how many people, what's, what's, so, a, what's a regular work day like? I'd say the first year was literally just me. It was like I'd show up every single day, you know, making every single thing and the thing that i think made it so special was that most traditional clothing brands even for what i used to do was like four scenes of the year plan it out drop it and then keep on going for me it was like i had an idea today it was dropping by noon and shipping by the next morning wow. you know and it was this whole idea like i knew i had no, no no barrier in between me whereas i think a lot of designers nowadays or even anyone is sitting behind a computer all day but they don't understand how to take that idea from concept to creation you know and i think that that's the biggest key miss for any young creative is to like you know, you can have the craziest idea ever, but if you don't understand how to communicate that to a factory, to a person, to anything, then you're kind of missing that piece of the puzzle, you know, and you're always going to need someone else. So for a long time, I'd say a year, it was just myself. And then I had a kid from Indiana literally like sending me graphics and I was just like, it's kind of cool. Like, I kind of like this. And I was like, hey, man, you find yourself out in California, hit me up. And the kid, the kid ends up actually moving to California. He lives in a youth hostel for about six, eight months. And wow. from the day he moved out there, I gave him an internship, paid him, and he is now like one of the directors of marketing for the company, you know? But he was my first kid who like showed up and just was ride or die, you know? And it was just kind of, it was just cool to see that because for all the kids who have failed, this kid has become a shining star of like, he couldn't write an email before, you know? And in three years, kids like writing emails, come up with ideas, making decks, doing, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's cool to see the kids who come out on the other side of the fire, whereas like a lot of them can't make it through. That's dope. So that's year one. Chinatown Market's in what year now? So it started uh, November 2016. Okay. Uh, so I'd say like, yeah, year three. So year, how much yeah. how much has it changed? How much has the day to day changed for you and for the company? We we're talking about this a little earlier. Yeah, you know, man, I think it's just changed so much, right? I mean, I'm sure the same thing for like, anything, for you guys as well. And it's just like uh, now it's more people managing and you know making sure everyone's happy and you know balancing things like. We'll go do a lot of events. We'll go do a lot of like, uh, you know, kind of things as a brand. And sometimes I got to make sure that people are involved or, you know, sometimes like a graphic designer can't go on all the trips all the time. But I'm like, I hope he's cool with that and, you know, et cetera. And I'm constantly like worrying about people's emotions. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's really draining. But I think at the same time, like it's 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 kind of fulfilling at the same time when you can work with these people, see them grow and, you know, do amazing things. Yeah, so. I, I saw a, um, an interesting quote from you I wanted to ask you about. Um, and I'm paraphrasing. Um, I believe you said you run or you try to run Ch Chinatown Market like a business, not like a boys club. Yeah. You know what? And I think also because <clears throat> it, there's this conversation of like people 
you know, want to say, you know, screw this retailer or screw that or screw making a bunch of money or screw, you know, whatever. Yeah, but you're it's, selling out if you do this yeah, thing. Yeah, and I'm, I think for me always, like when I first launched Chinatown Market, I immediately went into Urban Outfitters because I thought that I wanted people to experience my brand. I wanted them to have access to it and be able to go and feel, touch it and see what it is. And I think that a lot of people nowadays are like very lost in this like boutique mentality business. And it's like, I appreciate that, but maybe you should go do a, a hobby. You know, because it's like <laughs> this isn't really for you then because, you know, this is a little bit cutthroat cut throat out here. There are people and there's big corporations watching what we're doing and just cherry picking all day. So you better have your P's and Q's together. And if you want to run a business, run a business, you know, and don't just try to be a creative because I think that was my biggest detriment in doing ICNY was like the guy just said, you go be creative. I'm going to run the business. Mm. And I was just like, cool. Say less, you know, I'm going to go over here and just make whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to cool, make cool jackets. I'm going to, you know, like I want to make take seam everything cool. But, you know, right. but I think it was just you have to have more context to it because you can't just let yourself run free and think that there's no consequences to some of your decisions, you know, and that was a big learning lesson for me in failing. And I think anything for me has been hard failure to learn a good lesson. Got it. Love it. Yeah. Speaking of business. What do you feel was like the first big business thing? Was it the Urban Outfitters? Was it Puma? Like what, what was that kind of put you guys like? You know what's funny, oh, man, the is it's the, it was, I think it was funny enough, like the printing gun thing that I had, you know, really kind of helped to popularize where, sure, we were doing a lot of really exciting stuff in apparel and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I'd come from a customization background. So, you know, I've worked at Nike customization events when I'd, you know, been fresh out of school, et cetera. I was going to Houston for all-star games, except all these things, like when elite socks were getting customized, all mm -hmm. that. And I think, uh, you know, when I saw this video of a printing gun on YouTube and this dude's printing on like, you know, ceilings and floors and, you know, pallets and all this stuff, I was just like, t-shirts, this is amazing. And, you know, made this video of me just printing all over a shirt and it just started going crazy on our Instagram. This thing called Facebook Insider reaches out to me, which is like this funny, like, you know, classic Facebook videos your mom sees. And it's like, <laughs> you know, like, this is Mike, he does this, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. But that video has like over... I don't know, 150, 200 million views of just wow. me doing this like customization stuff. And that stuff is what like opened up me doing customization for other brands and working with like Nike, Adidas and, you know, Puma and all these people. And it was just one of those times where I was just hustling however I could. If I could do an event for you, if I was doing, you know, teacher for you, whatever I could do, I was doing it. But, you know, there was a big kind of inflection moment to say, hey, I got to stop all of that so I can focus on Chinatown Market. Mm -hmm. Love it. And then so today, Chinatown Market is a brand yes right but you guys also do stuff do you guys like white label like what other like services that you can speak of that you guys of do? course so i like kind of what i was saying before it was just like you know it's it's stopping some of the stuff where it's not serving the brand you know whereas i think it's easy to be like all right cool we can take a check and go to a project for someone but does that really serve the greater good of what we're doing every day as a company yeah. you know and i think that was a hard one for me to wrap my head around because i'd be like oh my god i get to work with these cool people and you know it's kind of like design add i get to go and touch different things all the time but I'm um, sorry, question again, I apologize. No, I was asking, what the fuck did I just ask him? <laughs> I apologize. I asked him. We lost it. I asked you, no, we're going to stay on this one too. And we're, yeah. we're not going to edit it. No, it's a good one. <laughs> I, asked you, I asked you, Um. oh, what other services besides the right. brand itself? So I, I think that what it's turned into though is that because now brands have become the best agencies because the brands understand how to authentically speak to these people mm -hmm. and they're not having to then go through a conduit to find someone. You know, a lot of times these agencies have to find yep. a brand to go speak or a person or a micro, micro influencer or whatever. And so we've been able to come in and say, hey, we can consult 
out with you and how you handle customization, creation of product, you know, marketing, creation of content. And, you know, because we're small, authentic, and we understand how to speak to our consumer as a friend, not like a just selling to them. I think that's kind of the key component that we've been kind of unlocking. Got it. One of the things, honestly, aside from the brand just being dope and everything you guys touch, you know, being on fire. One of the things I'm blown away by, and you touched on it a little earlier, is um, just the concept of creating something, you know, um, being able to produce it, being able to have it up, being yeah. able to ship. Is that still, like, the mindset? Like, you guys can create and get stuff out quickly? Like, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a balance to it, though, because I think now when the machine gets bigger, it's making sure that there's still, like, the calendar plan mm-hmm. alongside of it. Because now that we're at this place and you got a lot more moving parts... I can't just be like, all right, guys, drop everything. <laughs> right. We're doing this and go. Right. And like sometimes I'll be like, we'll figure it out. Like I, we got it, you know, because I used to just do it, you know. But right. now it's because I got other people doing these things. I have to be a little bit more controlled and calculated with it. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to basically continue to build that structure while never forgetting that, you know, original thing. Because I think once you get away from the original thing you're at, then we're just another traditional clothing brand. And then that's not fun, you know. And I think that's the biggest thing to remember. We got to always kind of never forget where we came from. Got it. Speaking of non-traditional, I think one of the things you guys have done, and honestly, the only other brand I'd put like in that category, which I guess is probably you know the ultimate compliment, is probably Supreme in the sense of like there are brands like you know Kith and Ronnie's a friend of ours, of course, and, and yeah. he's been uber successful and he's doing amazing things and will continue yep. to do amazing things. But it's like you're very clear on what they're putting out. They're putting out for the most part footwear, apparel, and those types of things, yep. right? You guys put out fucking tents. I have like yep. a smiley face rug up in my office. Yep. Like, where where's that come from? Like, and it's, still staying authentic to like the DNA of the brand. Because it's, I think it's through the idea of that ADD of design. You know, for me, it's why the smiley basketball becomes such an iconic, you know, piece because it's not something that you have to play basketball with, right? You can actually put it on your shelf, and there's more CEOs and executives I see with it on their shelf because it represents you know, things that we love, basketball and fun. It's not about being serious. And I think there's a big kind of gap in that market right now of like everything's so serious, but everyone's a fan and not many people can dunk or shoot a three. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's always- Why'd you look at me when you said can't shoot a three? I'm oh, just no, no. Hey, like man. Me out, I, I, I ain't saying No, I ain't saying anyone. <laughs> I, I, I seen you shoot. Um, no, nah, man, but you know what? I think it's, it's just been interesting. Sorry, I've lost training. No, I was asking about the different products. That's yeah, my fault. No, the different products. Uh, you know, it's- like the ping pong table, like I love ping pong. I want to be able to mix an object that is kind of like iconic in that way. And, you know, it's like making these things that you can't ignore. And so mm-hmm. I think obviously with the smiley face has been a big thing to be able to kind of bring fun to sport and mm-hmm. be able to hit all these different objects from like, we made a, you know, fortune telling ball. I can't say magic eight ball mm-hmm. because that's not the brand. <laughs> uh, you know, ping pong tables, yep. like soccer balls, footballs, like ping pong paddles, the, just any single thing that I can tap into, but not having to go and work with the brand to go do it because mm-hmm. Wilson's not going to always just go let me go make a tennis racket or you know these guys sure supreme a little bit easier but Mm -hmm. you know for us it's about showcasing kind of the design thinking right like you know can i go and make anything and show you that we can make a great and give you a great experience with it Mm -hmm. you know like i'm not giving you a crappy rug i'm trying to give you a nice plush quality rug that you can keep for a long time right yeah you talked about supreme um not speaking of them specifically but just we know and you've touched on it like street work can be a very fickle boys club sometimes you know um how has the community embraced you in Chinatown Market? Well, I think like anything, the old guard, I felt like uh, didn't like it, you know? Uh, but I think at the same time, when some of the other guys realize that I'm just a reincarnation of what they were doing, mm-hmm. then they can appreciate it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like an Acapulco Gold or any of these brands were kind of being a little more subversive back in the day, doing stuff that was a little edgy and, mm-hmm. you know, 
probably like asking for forgiveness, asking for permission, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what streetwear was, you know, and it's just like you see reiterations of the hundreds and all these things that we like I loved as a kid. And I think that it's, you know, it's it's ever just changing and ever kind of recycling itself. And so, you know, we all sometimes while you're in the thick of it can't see that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's there's definitely been hate from, I think, the OG side of it. But I think at the same time, kids can appreciate it because we're not elitist we're not ever telling someone you can't be a part of this you right. know because you're going to find your own way to be a part of it and appreciate it and engage and even from a social media perspective i never want you to just come to my page to look at t-shirts i want you to just come to smile and laugh and maybe you'll see a shirt you like one day mm-hmm. you know love it when, when i worked at beats by dre <clears throat> people would always think that we thought like we were thinking like our, our competitors or our competition was like bose or any other headphone company we're like no like who we're looking at for inspiration is Nike, is Apple, it's those brands. Do you have brands that you look to, whether it's for inspiration or just like your measuring stick? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're just looking at it like, you know, the larger conglomerates out there of like, you know, not that I'm trying to go build Uniqlo, but I want to, you know, be able to try to elevate this thing as much as possible and make a machine out of this that, you know, we can be calculated, learn. We're looking at data. We're, you know, trying to be smart. We're not just running and gunning and shooting from the hip anymore, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think that, I'm just trying to be as educated as I possibly can and make sure that our team is is just that as well because, you know, I don't have a bunch of 20-year seasoned vets in my spot, but mm-hmm. I think that that's what makes it special, right? These kids come with their own perspectives, views, and they bring that all to the table. Love it. So when you and I first met, which I guess it'd be a little over a year now, yep. um, I had asked you, like, what are you excited about? And I assumed you'd say, like, some project, some collaboration, or whatever yeah, the case yeah. was, and you said your team. Yeah. Right, you said you had a bunch of young kids working for you, and you're like, I love that energy and whatnot. Talk a little bit about your team and why it's so important to you. You know, man, it's just because I think that's what keeps it fun and relevant and exciting. You know, these kids all come from different backgrounds, and, you know, for a kid who's sitting in the middle of Indiana watching these kids do this, they're inspired to go and say, I can do it too. You know, and I think that that's a big thing for us. Like, we do a thing called CTMU, we take it across the US and globally, and we go and do events where we teach kids how to do stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, bring out my friend Kevin Emerson, who's a tie dye expert. And, you know, we did an event uh, at the Puma store in Midtown, and we did another one about a month later. And these kids, I think like 20, 30 kids showed up with like, you know, just galleries of all their stuff they created. And they're like, dude, me and this guy, we met at the thing, we're making a brand together, we're doing oh, it. Dope. You know, and it's like, those are the moments that I think you realize that you're doing something right, right? You know, it's like when I tried to come up and I remember just like, you know, dudes trying to shoot me down or holding me back or being like, you're not ready yet. And I think that for me, I want to create an environment where those kids shouldn't be afraid to go after it. Shouldn't be afraid to speak up, contribute their idea or feel like they can collaborate with the team. Mm -hmm. And so... That was the biggest thing, man. I mean, like, I've just, I've taken the kids to Portland to the BRS studio to go make custom Air Forces. Like, I want these kids to travel the world and come to events and do customization. Like, I want them to understand the things that I didn't understand when I was at their age in the early 20s. And, you know, world travel and seeing the world and understanding different cultures is what helps me to, you know, have a worldview and be a better, you know, business person, but a better, better creative and also just more understanding of the world. Because mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing nowadays that no one gets it, you know? Mm-hmm. No one gets it. You know, China's a pretty progressive and futuristic country. Like, you know, there's all these different things happening around the world, and you may not give credit to it because you just sit in America and think that this is the, you know, shit does its thing. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, you've also put your money where your mouth is, and that, you know, where most people, most leaders, most leaders um, of companies and brands want their 
employees team working specifically on what they on what the leadership wants them working on you encourage them to create their own brands have their own brands you help them you mentor them talk about that process a little you know there's a balance to it though because i think with every one of those that i want them to do that there's a side of it where it crosses that line and they don't understand the ambitious right yeah of course you know and i don't want to ever stop someone from going after their dreams Mm -hmm. but you know, it's like uh, I brought like a team of kids out to China to go do a sourcing trip, go to factories, see fabrics, you know, learn about all this stuff. And during that whole trip, I just had like one of my kids thinking about his whole brand the whole time, mm-hmm. mentioning like, oh, that's what I'm doing for my brand. This is what, you know, and <laughs> I had to send him home, you know, because oh, it's wow. things like that where, you know, it's I have to have a hard line of where it's, you know, you thinking about your stuff all the time or when you're here, let's rock, business, do what you yeah, think. And then, hey, man, after hours, after 6 p.m., I'm down to rock with you all day. I'll give you as much advice as I can and help you progress, you know. And I think that's the biggest thing is like that mutual respect because I give a lot of freedom and sometimes that freedom can be abused, you know. And I think that's a big one that I learned is that I used to just let these kids run free. I had like so many kids just going crazy on Instagram, like <laughs> posting like, follow me, follow me. And like, you know, these kids were just clout- clouding themselves up to, you know, get followers. And I think a few of them just, yeah, got lost in the sauce, became a viral meme and thought that that was like their future, you know? <laughs> You're like, that's my office in that, in that post. What, what yeah, you, <laughs> you know, it's 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 like, though, yeah, those funny moments where like I'd start noticing like some of my kids like creating their own content while they're at work for their uh. Instagrams, making like little dance TikTok videos. And I'm like, so you're spending like your time, is that is that your lunch break or, you know, and so I think, yeah, you know what, like, I want to give as much freedom as possible, but I think all of that comes with like a little bit of a leash, you know, because these kids are young and they're ambitious, but sometimes it's easy to be like, all right, like I'm going to use this whole thing to get to my thing mm-hmm. now. And it's like, they don't realize that this was 10 years of me trying to figure out how to even get to this place right. and to have this platform. Right. You know? So it, it kind of trips me out a little bit because you're clearly a mentor to not only your team, but you know, um, it's not a stretch to say a generation of young creators is it lost on you that like, you know, not that long ago you were the twenty year old kid just trying to get put on? Like, oh, trust me, man. I mean, it's dudes like Sycamore and all these people. Like, I remember he used to come in to prohibit and just be like, yo, he used to call me uh, Young Zuckerberg, and he just just like say all these things to me. And you know, I remember when I tried to go to the A Life sessions, they wouldn't let me in because I was too young. Or like, you know, I remember being called Young Sherm or whatever. And I think now that I'm 29, I'm almost 30, and still very young. But I think that it's like. Uh, it has shifted, you know, and that mm-hmm. that thing I think is it's it's different now, you know. Whereas I think you get credit when you're young for just doing and moving and everything. It's now I got to double down, you know, and I'm trying to go just as hard. So that's been the interesting thing because you know, as relationships grow, as you you know have more responsibilities and all these things, it's interesting how you find balance for it. And I'm sure it's got to be a challenge of, for of you course, and with a course. kid Daily, and a family. And you know, that's been the the biggest thing for me is just like how does that, you know, how do I balance it? And so I'm always ever kind of shifting that. Got you. So you had to, you know, to, to have the mindset you have now, um, you had to have had some, um, and I, I use the term mentors loosely because mentors could be, you know, you spent a summer with this person or you yep. interned or lifelong mentors. What mentors did you have coming up? Well, you know, I think that first really good one was Chase Infinite, you know, and he was a, a big influence on me and it was funny because that also was a huge learning lesson for me. You know, I worked on the ASAP Worldwide logo. I, you know, worked with him on his own stuff. I was, you know, just in the mix when ASAP was coming up, you know, so at that time it was just a a thing where, you know, I was doing all this stuff, but then I didn't get like paid immediately for something or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I, I bucked back and I was like talking back to him or whatever. And then I burned that bridge, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we didn't talk for a long time, you know what I mean? And it was like this sad thing where I was that young, immature kid and, 
it took me a long time to realize what I did wrong. You mm-hmm. know, whether or not like, I should have been paid on time, whatever, mm-hmm. it was like I wasn't right in that situation. So I learned like about my immaturity and just how to deal with people, et cetera. And even as I got, you know, kind of developed in this world, I realized how I want, I need to keep my enemies closer. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need to talk about anyone else. I don't need to, you know, put thorns into anyone. Right. I can just do my thing, smile and keep it moving. Right. You know, right. Um, yeah. Right now, what do you say to there's a kid in Wyoming that, you know, has dreams of starting his own brand, may not have a ton of cash, may not even have a ton of like the know how, you know, um, the young you. Like, what are you saying to that kid? What's the best advice you could give them? It's so hard because, you know, I worked at a taco shop. I worked at Jamba Juice. I've, I've had the shitty jobs that I worked so that I could do the things that I loved. I went and did the internships while I was at school or while I was at those opportunities. And so I just implore people to put themselves in whatever situation they can to succeed, whether you're in the middle of Wisconsin and you only have one streetwear store near you, go try to, you know, be around those guys and, you know, work with them and find someone who's smart there that you want to learn from. But I always just implore to anyone is find a mentor, not find a massive company, find Mm -hmm. someone that you can invest your time into and they can invest back some kind of knowledge, relationships, et cetera. And, you know, I just watched so many of my friends get really cool internships, jobs, et cetera, but at these companies that never were personable, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that was my biggest learning lesson. And, you know, that's why I'm grateful to guys like Chase who just put me in environments where I was around really interesting people and to this day can still be connected with. Mm -hmm. We talked about um, you launching Chinatown Market in 2016, right? Um, Three and a half, four years old, a company. Um, What would you say um, you'd do differently? It's just with more calculation, you know, more just like I used to just run down to Wholesale District, grab some T-shirts. I was handwriting neck labels. I was like, you know what I mean? I was just going, running gunning, and I was just going crazy. You know, now it's like, take a step back, think about it. Let's breathe. Let's be kind of a little more calculated. And it, it was really exhausting for a long time, just like, what's next? What's next? I remember, like, Ben Kirshner called me from Nike. He's like, yo, man, what's next, man? That printing gun's cool, but what's next? And mm-hmm. I'm like... I don't know, Ben, like, <laughs> I'm going to try to figure it out, man, you know, but I think that's where it's just like, I'm always trying to keep my brain good so I can keep on thinking about those things. Cause sometimes it is easy to get clouded up. You got so many emails, things coming in that of you become course. an email warrior more than you do a creative. Of course. Yeah. What's, what's it been, what's the feeling been like some of the same brands that, you know, we were talking earlier about like an LV sending a supreme a cease and desist and now they're partners yep. what's it been like even not even cease and desist but a brand that wouldn't answer an email now reaching out to you and asking like hey can we collab can we do this what do you think we should be doing yeah you know i mean it was it's like it's moments like the you know lebron thing where we made the shoe for him as a, on a whim just as a gift you know and i was just like hey i'm gonna make these things that was cool and you know hope this ends up maybe on his feet one day he ends up wearing it and then to the finals it, no less right, right to the finals i'm yeah. just like jesus this is insane and yeah. then you know it didn't start off actually as a collaboration as much as converse was like hey let's do a little event we'll take over soho we'll go do some customization people can customize chucks and in those two days in soho we did better sales than they did in the last black friday wow. you know and it was just literally off kids buying a blank shoe and saying you can embellish this and it's rethinking a chuck because a chuck is something that's you know over and over again the same thing of so how can you reinvigorate that excitement well that helped to like kind of validate everything and then get us into that conversation to do a shoe you know and it's funny because things like the uv shoe it was like i took that to another sneaker brand first they said no and then i brought to converse they said no and i kept on pushing them pushing them pushing them and then it worked you know but it's funny when things like that that if if i just said cool whatever 
that moment would have never happened or would have mm -hmm. never came together. But I think it is all about just kind of pushing it because Converse would have probably never knocked on our door until mm -hmm. I made them knock on our door. Mm -hmm. I think a recurring, before I let you get out of here, I think a recurring theme for you and your career, um, personally and for your brand, has been, it hasn't been a straight line, right? No, it's a lot and, of failures. Right? And yes. I think that's one of those, like when we talk about young kids and kids with dreams and trying to get on, they may look at you from the outside looking in and be like, you got here in three years, 2016 to 2019. Like, like why yeah. can I do it? Like, Well, because I just think that, yeah, it's like we we have to fail to learn. We have to go through these things. Like, you know, I just think that a lot of kids these days are so afraid to fail. They never try. And they're so afraid of what people judge them for or, like, you know, what happens on social media that they'd rather look perfect than to look like an idiot or look vulnerable. But for me, it's like that's why I tell these stories because I want that one kid out there in the middle of nowhere who doesn't believe that he can do it, that you can, you know? Like, I didn't grow up around all these cool people and all this stuff. I didn't have, like, a bunch of cool fashion around me. And, you know, I wasn't the coolest kid in high school. And I think it's, like, all these things you know people think that you need to have all those elements to be mm -hmm. the guy or like you know it's like kim jones wasn't always kim jones you right. know like it's, right. it's like all these things like people realize it, it can be you you right. know you just got to believe in yourself and never fucking stop believing because it's like it sounds so stupid because it's like it, oh, it's so easy man you just say it's right, like you just, made it yeah. yeah but i think yeah. that it's like if i was lebron's friend i'd be this too yeah like, exactly <laughs> man and, you know i'm sure you hear that shit all the time and i think that that's the thing it's like people want to discount all the work yeah you know but no one sees it it's like yeah. those dumb memes where you got like the podium and then everything below it of course you know and it's that's what it is you of know course. it's like no one saw me when i was at parsons literally staying up every single night working on graphics doing freelance like working staying late and mm -hmm. like getting back to my dorm room at 11 12 at night and mm -hmm. i wasn't going out partying i was going to greenhouse and like hanging out and jumping mm -hmm. on couches like i was working you know and i think that's the sometimes contrast with people because they just want it like i had so many friends when i was young be like why are you having fun man like just enjoy your life like you don't look like you're having fun and i'm like i'm making t-shirts every day it's not that bad you uh -huh. know like uh -huh. i love this absolutely so i don't know man you find what you love and you keep on doing it i think that you know that there's a recurring theme we talked about you know our friend salehi being on the show yeah he said his first job was at payless yeah man you know what i'm saying we talked about um Shoe surgeon being on the show, him being like, "Yeah, I was a shoe cobbler first. Yeah. To be clear, I wasn't doing collaborations. No, with man, Nike he wasn't. Yeah, he like, wasn't doing these massive, huge things. Yeah, yeah no, a hundred percent. So let me ask you, last question for you. Um, I know it's been a whirlwind for you, and you know, kudos on all the all of the success. No, thank you. Chinatown Market ten years from now, what do you want to be doing? What do you think the brand will be doing? Well, I think it's more about this idea of like the community and what it can be. You know, and whether it's Chinatown Market or whether it's like this bigger thing in this platform, like, you know, fashion isn't going to be what it is in 10 years. You mm -hmm. know, we's, we have the the Virgil say, streetwear's going to die right. and all these things, but they're just all going to evolve and change. And mm -hmm. so it's about how we adapt. And, you know, I just, there's a lot of things I like mentally can't say here that I'm like, I, I'm thinking about because I think that there's some ideas we have and the ways that we do certain things that have merit for mass culture and merit for people to experience. And it's why I always say that, you know, people shouldn't be so relegated to thinking that you're just streetwear or that only a small segment of people should be able to experience something. Because if you can reach millions of people and they can actually enjoy and experience your product and, you know, engage with it, that's success to me. You know, like if I can one day do something with Target or, you know, whatever and, actually have people be hyped and be engaging with that product. Like, that's so cool. Like, that, that's, like, the dream because, you know, just like, I don't know, making millions being a basketball star, like, going to Target and having a successful product and, you know, letting millions of people, people who are not in New York, L.A. and these main cool areas consume your stuff, that's cool. You know, that's what I think is, like, the, the next level. Love it. So, no yeah. better way to end the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike German, Chinatown Market. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate you for being on, buddy. Uh, peace. Yes, sir.